0: All right, folks, welcome to the Addotat Show, where we slice through the retail media buzz like a hot knife through butter. Today, we're serving up a dish of the good, the bad, and the downright ugly in advertising's newest gold rush. From Walmart's cozy couch strategy to the cookie crumble chaos, we're here to spill the tea and maybe drop a few truth bombs along the way. So if you're ready to get a little cheeky and a lot informed, you're in the right place. Let's roll and. Learn more than you did yesterday.
1: Welcome aboard the Adotat show, where marketing, media, and ad tech converge. Fasten your seatbelts as your host. PSAP Latin steers you through the digital world of advertising trends and marketing innovation. Deserve
2: to win when it matters most. Facing multi billion dollar bet the company litigation? No problem. That's why we're here. Troutman Amin, LLP, is a true legal powerhouse. Ladies and gentlemen, buckle up because you're about to witness the greatest show on the digital retail stage. It's like a family reunion, but with less awkward hugs and more ROAS discussions. I'm your host, Paystock Latin. and let's meet the masterminds turning retail media on its head. First, we have James Avery, the CEO of Kevl, a guy who's giving David a slingshot with APIs to take on the Goliaths of the ad world. And we have Shamim Samadi, the ad tech whiz kid and Roscoe's Labs co-founder who's been slinging code and crafting platforms since Google was just a baby. There's Jeffrey Bustos, the VP who got some more metrics and standards up his sleeve than a Swiss army knife, making sense of retail media at the IAB. And there's Brian J. Quinn, the digital media sage who's been leading the ad sales charge since the dawn of the internet, now vibing as the global head of vibonomics. And there's Jed Mayer, Cantor's media solutions maestro, who's also a Swiss army knife of insights and strategies, whose resume reads like an ad tech odyssey. Last but not least, Amy Rumpler, the strategic maestro behind basic technologies, turning search and social into a concerto of clicks and conversions. Hey, everyone, let's get started and start into the media goodness of retail media and get this roundtable cookie. In the unruly rodeo of retail media, the IAB is tempting to lasso in some guidelines. Good luck. How how do you reckon this will pan out for advertisers? Is this the Dan, dawn of harmonious herding? Or are we just setting up for mere, more spectator stampedes?
3: Yeah, we measurement standards are out for retail media. And yeah, the question now is adoption. I think there there's two parts to that. The first part is that uh, most retails within the US were part of that project. So the adoption of that will be happening over the next few months. But I think most importantly, beyond adoption to what you were saying is the ability to have this be a flexible metric and and flexible standards. And I know it's kind of like an oxymoron, but what we really did is we under we came in with the approach of, we understand that you can't apply the same standard to Kroger versus Best Buy just because of their data frequency, data assets, consumer experience. So what we did is we provided a framework in which we provide specific guidance on how they should be looking at measurement, depending on how they were tracking their data. And then the second thing from that, we also created specific definitions that we didn't just define the metrics, we thought it was very important to also dive into how those metrics and the methodology and how the retailer deriving those metrics. And the real objective here is uh, enabling brands, the capability for them to be able to compare uh, retailers from one to the other. And, you know, again, this year we'll, we'll be interested to see how we see a lot of these retailers look to adopt this. Uh, for the most part, most retailers are be, are going to be working to adopt it. How it comes into fruition will be a fun
4: ride to see, but yeah. Can I build uh, on that? Of course. So, so, uh, you know, from a Cantar perspective, you know, we represent a lot of brands and a lot of the things that Jeffrey's doing. We we plugged into his standards and we contributed to them uh, and are big supporters of them. And the big thing that brands want is comparability. So when I look at the landscape and just how much it's grown, it's amazing. Uh, But if you're a brand, you're trying to figure out, well, where do I put my next dollar and how do I compare the results from retailer X to retailer Y? And I think these standards will be helpful in terms of promoting that. According to Forrester, a
2: 2023 B2C marketing CMO Pulse survey, 50% of CMOs admitted that aligning retail media with other media investments is like trying to herd cats while blindfolded. Why is that?
3: I mean, I, I'll jump in. I mean, the main issue of retail media, it's kind of why it's also growing so fast. I mean, I mean, it did what, you know, Google and social media companies took more than a decade to do. But the issue is once Google had the level of investment that retail media has today, it was a really good platform. So it did Facebook. And I think to your point, the, the frustration now is that retailers are trying to be evaluated as startups, but they're requesting large media budgets of the likes of uh you know facebook's and the google the world and when they were, you know when google is demanding the budgets that they are today you know their platform is pretty good the, the, their ability to measure and i think one of the things more importantly is what we've seen with competitors on uh, the search space you know google and microsoft are competitors but me as a search buyer i can compare performance and it's really easy for me to activate across search measure search and compare performance across different search engines and you know when, when it was like google Microsoft and Yahoo, and I think that's one of the things we are building up this year is you know telling retailers you need to have more consistency in how you bring you know a lot of this work to life. And you know James Avery is, is working closely with IAB Tech Lab and OpenRTB, which we really think is where retailing is going because there is a significant fragmentation, and the retailers really aren't doing themselves any favor if they really want to reach the 100 billion plus that all that money is on long tail large brands don't have any more money. So if they really want to hit a hundred billion dollars. They need to focus on how they can automate this more like Google and Microsoft. Fit. I think
0: too, there's, um, there's still some like confusion and back and forth, even at the the retailer and brand level on where does this sit? Right. Like, cause it's like, some of it is, well, this was merchandising, right? This was, I was buying an end cap in the store and now you're saying it's digital and it's performance, but now you're also saying it's branding because my competitor has that that nice shelf unit on the page and I don't. And so I think there's still some like on the even on the buyer side and the retailer side like who owns this? Does the merchandising team own it? Does the the media team own it? Is it net new revenue or are we just moving revenue? And so I think a lot of those things that like Google and Facebook didn't have to deal with that. Uh, but I think this is the complexity of putting a Hundred million dollar media business into a hundred year old company that is like making this take a little bit longer and a little bit you know struggle or you know a little bit harder. Uh, but then also to to mention what you said and like and Shamim's here, who's who's really helping guide that uh, you know or not guide but like working with that process with the IAB Tech Lab uh, around how do we bring some real open RTB standards to to retail media because can we can we make it so you can buy sponsored listings just like you buy. Google search ads, or like you buy display retargeting. Uh, and I think that that would really open up the door and probably solidify what type of media this is, right? Because it would say, this is performance media that you can measure just like you do your retargeting budget. And the so other thing it? that's unique about retail media networks, and you know,
5: I was early in this with Triad Retail Media, we actually, the business started when we convinced Walmart they could sell ads on Walmart.com, which was revolutionary back then. But um, but it was a struggle back then. The merchants were never on board. And I always say people behave how they get paid. And so I think this kind of gold rush now where even smaller retailers, you know, uh, medium ones are, are, are building their own sales team. And what anyone that makes you unique is you've got the brands, you know, the the person at uh, P&G who wants to grow sales in Kroger, they have a lot of clout. And so, hey, put some of that money here. And so they got that influx from that. But now they all want to get the quote unquote national media dollars. And do they have a right to do that? And you know, does a a, a medium sized grocer, can they actually go to New York, you know, to Group N and get national media dollars when they're competing with 20 others that are kind of the same thing, but don't what have the same What do you mean they have, a,
2: they have a right to do it? What does that mean? Well,
5: no, like one of the, like, it goes back to my, my days of Triad, where the first three years of Triad, we never called in a media agency. It was the, the shopper marketing money literally mm-hmm, right? sat in Bentville, Arkansas, and we had an office there. And then when they hired me, I was the CRO to go get the national media dollars, and we were able to get both because they didn't really talk to each other that much. And so that's what I'm hearing from our retail partners is, you know, the merchants like, Hey, don't touch the trade, the trade money, whatever, go get the national media dollars. You know, I got this covered and they need to work more in tandem.
4: But the challenge with the national media dollars is, uh, first of all, to James's point, the way this is organized at most companies is all over the place. And a lot of times they come to us to just talk to us about how do we set ourselves up? Where Mm -hmm. should we put this stuff? And we have a whole little consulting team that just helps them on their org design and that sort of thing. But the real split that I see is what Brian said is the trade dollars versus the brand dollars, the trade dollars, you know, the average person who's working in marketing that's over on that side of the house. Once you start talking about the actual advertising dollars, that's all tied to their brand KPIs and other things, and those are two different, uh, you, you know, two different uh, ways to evaluate the media, and, and and often two different pools of money or organizations within a company. So that's when it gets really much more blended here. Is the
2: lack of standard metrics is that the main thing keeping advertisers from jumping on board?
6: I'd say there's two a couple of things. Like building on what James said, metrics is one. Like if you can't have a standard way of measuring. The outcomes, which is why CMOs are so frustrated. That's like that's a critical part of it. The other critical part is you just, you can't actually, um, unify a single buy really across multiple retail me- media networks. So you're kind of stuck in this world of sort of early digital advertising days where you'd have to go out, you know, pre-programmatic, you go to each, re- each ad network and allocate budget and sort of make right. sense of it all later. And, you know, marketers are they've seen the value of programmatic of of unifying how you can buy and optimize in a single platform and you know they don't want to do that anymore and what they want if you just take the marketer lens they would want to buy as much of their digital media through one place where they can measure it the same way and optimize it and have it transact just like all other media so that they can compare and contrast you know performance and allocate budget fluidly and they 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 cannot do that. And so the other thing that the IAB is is doing is trying to to standardize the way it's transacted, so that if you're a buyer or a seller, you can buy it just like programmatic media is bought, and therefore you can you know optimize it just like another sort of another channel, like CTV is a channel and sort of displays a channel and mobiles a channel. There's another channel called retail
2: media, and you can all that in- How far out are we to be able to buy on Walmart, on Kroger, on the trade desk? Um,
6: well, I'd say like we're, I'd say in 2024, you'll be able to buy like a DSP, whether it's the trade desk or someone like them, on some large retailers, whether it's Walmart or someone like them. I think will happen. Um, like the the first impressions will flow, but it won't be at any scale this year. Um, but you know, I think in 2025. The heart, you'd see, a, you uh, know, go through the same sort of evolution as programmatic. Like you get some early adopters, impressions will flow, buyers will start to demand it. And come like 2025, 2026, um, a lot of the market will be there, but not all of it. Some folks will hold out, like Amazon will not be there. Will Walmart be there? TBD, like some of the big folks who maybe can... Um, can keep their sort of walled garden completely walled may may maintain that way but I think the majority of the market over the next couple of years will make it up. Yeah,
1: I completely agree with you. I think, you know, when we think about this idea of walled gardens, it's really interesting. We think about Meta and Google first and foremost, but these retail media networks are, are very much following that same path in terms of they know the value that they have in their owned and operated media properties and also in the massive amounts of data that they have available that advertisers and brands theoretically want to tap into to make sure that they're at the right place at the right time to influence a purchase or an action or whatever that is. And so I think when we think about the fragmentation that exists today and is frankly getting worse every day as new and new retail media networks are popping up, It's going to be a long road and a long path towards solving the entire problem, but chipping away at the problem is something that's certainly doable from an ad tech perspective. And any opportunity that there is to create standardization and for tools to bring together automation is going to benefit everybody involved. It's going to benefit the networks, it's going to benefit the advertisers, and certainly the buyers and strategists that have to navigate this very complicated ecosystem.
5: I just watched uh, Brian Monahan's interview at IAB ALM on, on BTV. You know, he just took over retail media for Dentsu, and he and he, he was our client at Walmart for a while, running that program. And uh, he described the current state of retail media as you know, a quote unquote gawky teenager. <laughs> you know, which I think is, is pretty right. And then predicting what you often hear: we, we need more scale. There should be there'll be consolidation. Should there be, ultimately be collaboration between the retailers if they really want to compete with, you know, Facebook, TikTok, and Google.
7: I also
0: think you will see it, as Shamim said, like it's, it's the natural evolution, right? Like we always see this when whenever a new kind of media offering comes out, right? When mobile first started, what did you get? You got ad networks first, right? And there was the ad networks and they had a lot of problems. They took a big, you know, rev share and then you had fragmentation and then you had progmatic, and then you still had the handful of walled gardens that never integrated. Right. And I think that's the same thing we'll see in retail, right? Like the majority of the regional grocers, like they're going to, they're not going to be able to maintain a walled garden to be a regional grocer, right? right, Like they're, they're going to be part of something larger, pragmatic and, and yep. kind of more common. Amazon and Walmart, they might be the Facebook and Google and we're never going to, work. we're never yeah. going to get them. Right. And I think that's like, we just, we, we all see it. We all seen it play out across every medium. Like it's going to play out the same exact way. Right. The other, the other do you point- think?
5: The other important just is, you know, Walmart.com has enough to traffic to have a significant business on Walmart.com. How many people go to grocery website? So it's really all about that data. So so much of their efforts are where can I push that data? You can buy Kroger audience segments on Roku, for example. So you know, there, there's that kind of rush to where can this data be applied.
1: We're seeing that outside of retail media as well. It's happening even in social media, you know, with partners like LinkedIn now making their unique targeting segments available because they have so much data on, you know, business consumers. Um, Now that inventory is going to extend to CTV as well. And you're going to be able to layer, you know, their type of targeting on top of CTV buys. So it's a very interesting conglomeration, I think, that's going to happen. And retail media is kind of like a microcosm of this, but it's a bigger theme across media, I think. A little bit of a shift away from thinking about the audience and toward thinking about the placement. Like, Where am I actually able to put this ad in order to capture the most attention, whether that's on you know, a dot-com property and an app on CTV or all of the above? If
2: standardization was a horse race, which retail media network do you bet on leading the pack and why?
0: Well, I think there's two sides to that, which is who's who's helping write the standards, and like I think right. Albertsons has probably done a lot or done the most in that space, right? Like, uh, but I think that if you're like, who is everybody else following? It's Amazon, right? In the sense of right. like, what Amazon does is what everybody else seems to kind of start to to follow because they are just <laughs> the you know by far the largest retail media network.
2: What what does Amazon have to change? What don't you like about it that people are following?
0: I think for the most
2: part, like I mean they've really like we look to them a
0: lot as when we as we talk to our customers about here's what Amazon's doing, here's how they're here's what brands are expecting from Amazon, but you don't offer the same capability. And so I don't I haven't seen a lot that I think they're doing that is wrong. I think they're doing a lot of stuff that's just continuing to capture larger and larger budgets uh from the brands that work with them I don't know Do that you even. That, go ahead, Amy.
1: Well, I don't know that even Amazon has it all figured out though yet, I would say. I mean, if you think about, again, measurement as like just one area, um, you know, obviously if, if somebody is going to Amazon, searching for a product, buying on Amazon, great. They've got a great ability to showcase you exactly what that path looked like and how it resulted in a purchase. But The consumer journey in general is a lot blurrier than that. We don't all purchase in that way. That's not our entire purchase journey. The influence that in store still has on somebody's, you know, decision making criteria about what product to buy or other types of media influences, you know, how those play in. I don't know that Amazon has a great solution yet that helps me connect all the dots as a marketer between you know, again, brand to performance, like what did I do in the very beginning that led to that person searching, choosing my brand, purchasing on Amazon? I don't know that they've got it all figured out yet either in terms of being able to connect that entire journey. Even in Amazon's case, I think there's more evolution that needs to occur. Well, but
2: if it's Amazon, that the whole purchase path is only on Amazon and they're not going to claim it's elsewhere.
1: Well, it's easy to grade your own homework. It's a little more difficult (laughs) to uh, look at the full ecosystem and tie the entire picture together.
2: And I think it is one of the things that like
0: the traditional, the, the more traditional retailers that we've been working with, like one of the advantages they have, right, is being able to take that offline attribution and tie it back to to online spend either on their .com or mobile app or off, off of it, right? And that's something that Amazon really can't offer these brands, right? And like for the most part, like the majority of diapers are still bought in a local store. They're not mm-hmm. bought on Amazon, right? And so like I think that, that that is the advantage that these other retailers have when they're going up against Amazon.
4: Yeah, look. At the end of the day, the brands want to follow the consumer. And to Amy's point, the path to purchase is all over the place. When you're in that ecosystem of Amazon, it's beautiful. But but the consumer doesn't behave yet that way, right? For you know, there's a lot of different types of ways that people shop, and connecting all this stuff together is difficult. Uh, but you got to do it in a in a neutral way, and you got to do it in a way that's privacy compliant and and whatnot, which is which is a challenge, right? You got in, in terms of projecting that to the whole the whole audience.
2: All right. So moving on to cookies, oh, we, we have the have Dodo one. retailers are suddenly sitting on a goldmine of first party data. How do you see the shifting balance of power in the ad world? Are we looking at new data dynasty or just another bubble? So
0: one of the challenges that you still have to use third party cookies for retailers to link that data other than things like CTV. So I think what you'll actually see is places like CTV, you'll see a ton of retail media data used. But as third party cookies go away, you're still not going to know who that person is on CNN. Kroger doesn't know who they are nobody does without the third party cookies so i think it's actually a, a kind of a headwind on on the you know audience extension for traditional display whereas i think ctv will happily soak up a lot of that budget uh, where you do have an identity
4: I'd say the fir- the first party data is fantastic right it's great that they have it but again the brand's looking for availability of that and comparability and if all those definitions are different that just is going to frustrate the, the, the you know the, the advertiser trying to figure out well how do I line up dollar general's definition of this with somebody else's definition that that's that's a challenge
2: what's your strategy for mining first party data without turning to a data?
3: I think when when you think about first party data, I think take a step back before even data mining. I think their brands need to, to your point, like me as a brand, getting a bunch of first party data is kind of useless because I'm. I mean, it's it's useful for in terms of audience insights and segmentation and being able to leverage that audience to find new users, but it's not going to help me prospect people. And you can only do prospecting lookalikes through cookies, as James said. So it's it's kind of like this thing where these identity solutions, they don't really have a lot of scale. And in terms of like the strategy and first-party data, the conversation becomes like, is the cost of me acquiring a bunch of first-party data as a CPG really worth it? How much, what should be that conversation? And then the, the second part, when you, when you look at this retailer's data, you know, we just saw that Walmart is looking to acquire Vizio, And again, it goes back to that CTV conversation where they're not able to to now that they acquire Vizio they can kind of do a lot of What we're seeing with Samsung and a- Apple TV is doing in which they can actually now understand and know who's watching CNN and get that full data that Walmart doesn't have because Walmart doesn't have a lot of loyalty data. So I think when, when you think about how you should be looking at first party data, I think you should be looking at like the various use cases and how you can vary, look at the various data sources. But, mining a bunch of first-party data is kind of useless because most publishers don't have any like only 20 percent of the internet is addressable so you as a brand even if you have all the greatest first-party data you can't activate it in 80 percent of the internet which is kind of like the privacy sandbox issue we're having right now so i think there needs to be a balance where brands are like i will get relevant first-party high-quality data that's relevant to my consumers based on their consumer insights and building that relationship but Getting everyone's data, it's not a long term solution I think like Those you mentioned
0: with well, I was gonna say with the like you mentioned with the Vizio piece, right like I think that's just another like that is like would be addressable right like and I think that's when you have Walmart and they say okay we can we do have great first party data where we know that you know this person buys these diapers and they're about two days away from buying another pack of sixty of them like now we we have that addressable person that we can show ads to through their Vizio TV, or obviously Amazon, you know, showing ads on Amazon Prime now. And it's pretty funny that pretty quickly, Walmart's like, how do we how do we get that? Oh, we will buy a TV company, Uh, which I guess works. Uh, But really, (laughs) it's to say, I think it just shows like that, that when you do have that, that identity, especially in CTV, that it's going to push a lot of that uh, towards that direction.
2: Before we move on to Walmart, how do you see the role of CTV um, evolving in respect to retail media? I mean, I think yeah, effectively, what's
6: you know, it's the next sort of channel that these retail media networks are are figuring out right now, and it comes back to the the sort of the point about them. While they have the first party data, and they may not have tremendous scale on that first party data, they're now in the you know the top retailers are are sold out effectively for their on site um, sort of supply, and now the, the name of the game is how can I sort of Increase my scale. Um and CTV's the the sort of next channel that everyone's looking at. And figuring out the right mix of what is the ad format, what is the metric, are people actually transacting on CTV? Am I optimizing towards a different metric? But this the sort of like what I've seen is the evolution of the media by going like retailers are on-site, then they're doing sort of off-site display native. And then, you know, last they get to CTV as a sort of source of scale. And I think there's, um, it's frankly like an untapped new channel. And I think the creative retailers are going to figure out the right formats and the right metrics. And um, it can be really, really attractive medium for the folks that figure it out. And Amazon's going to be in an interesting place with um, with Amazon Prime. To probably set that, like figure that out and set the set the standards for the rest of the industry because it's it's very clear that they're going to be doing smaller brand retail media like shoppable type ad formats on 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 Amazon Prime and like they're going to set the
5: standards and sort of set the direction I think for the industry.
0: Yeah, I mean, like there's no reason Amazon couldn't show me my current cart on Amazon and have a button that says buy this right like I, we haven't gotten there yet but like that, we know that's where it's going and i think that's probably you know like we said that Walmart Walmart sees that future too and and trying to figure out how do they do that
2: you know i think when we well, does, us, it does we show to... on their alexa devices you can actually do that it will tell you you're, you have stuff in your cart and you can actually press a button and it will do it uh, so creating the technology on a tv seems sure. you know it's already there I think when people we talk
5: about CTV is sometimes we forget to talk about YouTube, which is by far the biggest CTV platform. And you know, back when again was I tried running the Walmart program, we had access. The Walmart DMP was integrated to 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 YouTube, and we could do buys with the data. Then they shut it off. All all the other CTV players seem to be leaning in with the retailers. I, I, from my knowledge, my I don't think YouTube has. And if they want to participate in this and have that as an offering with first-party shopping data. I wonder if they're going to open it up more to any retailers. Does anybody know more about that?
1: Well, I don't know if I can comment on that specifically, but I also think that YouTube is a super interesting example because yeah. um, one of the things that YouTube did really well earlier on than other video or CTV providers is bridge that gap between awareness and action, right? like. Actually, they've got great ad products that are yep. optimized and designed to drive conversion, even though it's a video unit, which is typically thought of as, you know, more of an awareness driver. And so, again, like to Shamim's point, you think about these shoppable ad units and and kind of the expansion of what that could look like. All of a sudden, CTV is really well positioned as this connecting bridge between you know, again, that that earlier on in the purchase journey type of um, medium where you're really kind of influencing, you know, somebody's general perception, but then shortening the consideration cycle between a click, a buy and exactly the bottom line function that you're trying to accomplish. So um, I think YouTube is a really kind of a pioneer in that. And so I don't know that there's a lot of motivation there for them to to participate in a bigger way, because I think uh-huh. within their ecosystem, they've already they've already really accomplished a lot in terms of their ability to drive both awareness and conversion or action. And I think these other CTV partners and the retailers are trying to figure out how to do that same thing and how to work together to bridge that gap and shorten that consideration cycle. Yeah.
0: Good points. I I will say too, I mean, YouTube is also still, you know, 90, I think it's like 90% mobile, right? People are watching it on their phone. They're watching it somewhere that they, they can really click a button and they're used to transacting. I think when we think about CTV, you know, at least in my mind, a lot of what comes to it is, is you're thinking Roku and Tubi and and YouTube TV, right? Which right. is still that a little bit more tied to the brand, but like, I'm interested to see if we'll see those start to converge more. Uh, and, I, 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 think, I think
5: of all CTV viewing on big television screens, 50% is YouTube. Yeah. So, so most of them might be well, but within CTV, it's it's like half of the
1: view. Well, and we're only so, talking about the streaming apps themselves. Then again, you think about the Vizio's the device. Yeah. That's a whole separate territory yep. and opportunity to get attention and eyeballs. I think
2: we should move that to Walmart and Vizio. Um, I think everyone's been thinking about it. Um, as of a few minutes ago, it was just rumored. Does anyone know if that's been changed? All right. So it's a rumored acquisition of Vizio, a prominent player in the smart TV market. So here's my question. With Vizio's nearly 18 million active SmartCast accounts and a 14% increase in revenue per user, is this move a bold bid for dominance in the living room or just another big box behemoth flexing its muscle? But well, to me,
4: it's not really a surprise. I mean, Walmart's been looking at the video space for ages, right? I mean, I think they had Voodoo. Yep. They had they had the Walmart sort of uh, entertainment network within the stores. It's super logical to me. They, they've been trying to talk to other video partners about partnerships. It's a, a bigger move into that space. But, I, I mean, I think it's clear that Walmart really likes the the, the – Video and the the media space, the margins are a lot more attractive than they are for day to day retail, right? So I think it is a big flex of the muscle, but it, it makes total logical sense to me strategically.
0: And do you think? I mean, is it a media play,
4: or is it a is it like a Roomba
0: like play where they're just like, if we actually own Vizio, we can just absolutely crush the low end, like own the low end TV market, right? Like could I think we all both? think media. We all think
4: media because we're in media. Yeah. But like, it's like, is it also just a why aren't Why aren't we owning that? I think it's more of a media play because I think the margins are better. I, I, the I'm margins afraid, are so yeah, much better. Yeah. yeah, the margins on a low end TV I don't think are going to be all that great, and the margins on media are better. And Doug McMillan said over and over in his, in his quarterly reportings, like we love you know what we're seeing going on with retail media. This is just a big flex to me to get more in that space. And then, are they going? Yeah,
5: it's like either, Amazon, what?
0: where actually selling the goods is like yeah. not the product anymore, right? Like selling the ads is the product.
5: No, Invisio's uh, position is more of a lower end than like, versus, say, Samsung or LG. So, is, it, once it's done, is Walmart going to price that so low with the, with the end game of just getting more reach for the advertising? You know, I like mean, the what's the startup doing? What's the startup doing free TVs? What's the name of the yeah. startup that's offering free TVs?
2: Yeah, the Philco
4: yeah, yeah, or yeah. something like that. Telly, I forgot. It's one of those. Yeah, yeah. Telly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, and
1: Elia
2: Ponson, I think his name is. Yeah. The, the owner, yeah. And
1: the data exchange theoretically goes both ways, right? Like they get the TV and household, they get more information about consumers, what their interests are. They can use that to beef up products that they're serving them in their search feeds on the Walmart app. I mean, it's all very symbiotic in terms of just deeper understanding in addition to deeper reach. It's
4: peanut butter and chocolate. And if it was a Super Bowl ad, you'd add Carmel and bam, you'd blow up and have a really great ad that didn't have any famous people in it.
1: Or munchkins on a straw. (laughs)
4: <laughs> or Munchkins on a Strong,
2: one of my personal favorites. So, if Walmart does become a media company, how is this going to change the market? Well, it already is a media company. Um,
4: I mean, I have to. Beca- uh, sorry. The, Viz- the purpose for Vizio is for a retail media network. Um, it gives them more scale. It just gives them a lot more. I mean, they're already one of the leaders, right? I mean, it's Walmart and Amazon as the right. sort of the two largest ones. I think it, to Amy's point about the data it brings to the table, it gives them a lot more scale. It gives them multiple opportunities to play. Um, I mean, I think a I wonder the tough if, they, sense.
5: if they're honest. Do they regret. Um,
4: getting rid of voodoo, you
5: know, cause like it
2: was sort of subscale though, right? I mean, who was on voodoo? I mean, I, I couldn't name a single thing that was on voodoo. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
2: No offense if anyone worked on it, but I honestly don't even know. I know there was no publicity, nothing. Is are they even still around? No. Yeah. Somebody bought it. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought maybe someone bought it. And Dango, right.
5: It. Yeah.
1: One of the things I think is super interesting about Walmart specifically is, you know, we can't forget they have a massive in-store footprint. And so, yeah. I, you know, unlike some of the other retailers like the Amazons of the world that we talk about in the context of digital retail media networks, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this drives forward the in-store experience and evolves over time, given, you know, they are in, in somewhat of a unique position, especially with the potential Vizio acquisition. You know, they've got just so much interesting arms and all of these different pies and and again like the the piece of the offline experience that exists when somebody walks into a walmart and has to make an in-person purchase decision it's going to be interesting to see how that potentially becomes more personalized and evolves based on all of this information that walmart is going to obtain on consumers and what drives their decision-making journey i think
6: it's just obviously a sign that walmart's going heavy and obviously ctv for retail media because you know, Vizio is already a, a pretty big CTV sort of seller with their data. Walmart's going to just turn turn on their firehose of demand on on Vizio's supply. They're going to do what everyone else does, which is like I'm going to sell Vizio's supply sort of first and foremost, and then I'm gonna, I'm going to keep that data exclusive to me. Whereas like Vizio is licensing its data to other ad tech providers, it's going to be Vizio data is exclusive to Walmart. I'm going to buy that supply with my firehose of demand, and I'm going to turn that firehose of demand on other CTV using using my Vizio own data sort of like the truth set, and so um it's a really smart whether it's Vizio or someone else it would be a very smart acquisition for them to build sort of their owned and operated you can call it sort of c t v business as the starting point to then you know
5: extend to the rest of c t v after that and does does Walmart become a uh, want to
2: get into the studio business so they make an acquisition of like you know the Hallmark Channel, or you know, or it's scripts. that's what I was thinking. Wondering, I was thinking the same exact thing. That, that <laughs> makes sense. Again, this studio is create just a closed loop. Yeah, I mean, that's what Amazon really is. I mean, you can you can go on Amazon and you can buy, watch about the product, buy the product, and then you can watch a TV show about the product, and then yeah. I mean, it's I have you know I have every single Amazon device in my house, and it's just constantly reminding me about the same thing. It's almost like a closed loop. You know, if I go, if I see my Alexa, it has something about that TV show, I click on it and it plays with the TV show on my
4: other device. And then it tells me to purchase the DVD later. I think it's a great observation. I, I think it'd be intriguing if they did that. I don't think they need to do that right away because yeah. of all these other things to work on. And they may not want to be in the creative business in the same way. I, you know, it doesn't seem like necessarily that they're, they're, you know, they're strong suit from from a distance, but really thought provoking.
2: Yeah. The
4: Hallmark Channel is safe. Right. I think it's a good it's a, it's a good match.
2: So everybody wants to be a retail media network. Everything's a retail media network, as I've been hearing lately. Um with retailers, non retailers like Marriott throwing their hat into the retail media network, what's your take? Is this a gold rush or just a bunch of prospectors chasing waterfalls? Does anyone I I hope someone knows that
4: reference. I, I so, think it's, it's a it's a chase of margin is what it is to me. I mean, it, 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 if you're Marriott, you're United Airlines, or whoever, everybody wants to be in retail media because they they have a unique you know customer knowledge and asset from a data point of view, and then they're jumping in to say let's activate it and let's take advantage of the uh, of, of the margin opportunity. So we have Amy
2: Shorten uh, at it. She came in a little bit late. She is the Titan of Internet Marketing, shaping the future of publishers and platforms. With the precision of a sculptor at Canesso. Is that how we pronounce it? Canesso. My friend and yours. I've known Amy for what, 30 years now? <laughs> I think you're gonna have to speak up or turn the microphone up.
7: Yeah, we've known each other for a very long time. So,
2: non retailers, Marriott International and not launched its media network in 2022, tapping to its extensive digital and physical audience. Um, how do you differentiate between junk and gold? I mean, are companies like Marriott can even have the reach?
0: Let's be honest. But I also think like, I mean, the question we ask ourselves sometimes is like, what is, what is actually, what actually qualifies as retail media, right? right. And I think it's like, is it, is it really tied to a, close to a transaction? So it's like, you know, it's I just think this of, customer
2: data platform and they're just using right. the, if you think of Instacart, is Instacart
0: retail? I think we'd all say yes, right? Even right. though they don't have a retail place, right? Like they're, they're helping encourage somebody to buy a, a certain type of eggs or whatever, right? Uh, I think if you look at Marriott and it's like you're going to be showing ads to me in the hotel room while I'm getting dressed, i don't know that makes that retail media other than it makes it a a compelling digital out of home use case right and that's fine but i don't I don't know what would really qualify that as being retail media
4: ahead they they could have activations on their properties honestly i mean I think they they have an environment where they could put screens if they wanted to have that, and they have a unique customer data set so it may not be retail in the sense of a Walmart or a dollar general or whatnot, but uh, you know, it's like who have thunk years ago that airplanes would put media on your tray table. Right. And I forgot it was frontier or whoever did it first, you know, that became sort of a form of, 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 Media, right? I so, guess at, at
0: Marriott they have that little store when you go in, so they could have like promoted uh, promoted so
4: wine for so me in, to the buy a wine. in the room. The TV in the room when you you walk into the room and they're showing you a, a loop of something they, they could add to that, right? So I, th- yeah. I think, know, I, think I think it
0: can be a very compelling ad platform, right? Like they have data, they have identity, they have they have a captive audience, like yeah, high right end audience road.
4: potentially, yeah.
0: Yep. Um, but I just I think be, you, it could be it could be a great local what is retail.
2: Right. I mean, if you're if you're visiting Chicago. App. Sorry, yeah, it could be a great yeah, like, local platform. If I want to know about a restaurant, it could you know, I could, you know, you have also, maybe a, a partnership with Yelp, but I don't see it promoting major brands and working that way. I don't but see but also buying well, a product well, off of Marriott's TV.
4: But, but, right, but think about it that way. They know you're going to Chicago. They can start right. serving you ads or messages about your trip, about what you're gonna do on that trip. I mean it might not be a transaction right there at the point of but they know a lot about your journey. I think it's there's an interesting thing there.
5: Yeah, well, you get, you know, know, like American Express, you know, when you're traveling, American Express knows that you're going to Chicago because you've booked. Right.
1: But I think to your point, James, like, doesn't that just make them really good at influencing a consideration for a purchase? That, to me, feels different than triggering the actual purchase or managing right. the inventory or making it available.
0: Like, it's like Lamar has a great business. Doing digital out of home, and they're getting more and more digital. I wouldn't call it retail media, even though I see, I mean, if I see the ad and stop it at, uh, you know, Bojangles because of it, that doesn't make it retail media. It's still digital out of home. But, uh, but yeah. whatever they call it, I think Marriott can build a good business. I would just say, they're calling it retail media because
4: retail media is in the
0: headlines, and exactly. everybody wants to be retail media.
1: I, feel yeah. I like TikTok. You but do does, it.
4: It, does it have to be lower funnel though to be uh, retail media? I mean, to me, there is an aspect of brand building that could also happen on the end cap through the right retail media. That, yeah, you're at the point of purchase. But to, to me, a lot of what the brands are telling us is that yeah, there's a place for the lower funnel, but they're they're also still trying to build awareness. Right. But then everything would be retail media.
7: But I think everything, everything is retail media, that was the point. <laughs> <laughs> I think the banks are gonna start doing retail media. I think anyone with like significant customer data is gonna just put it out there and call themselves retail media. Yeah, I just
2: did uh just did a Simpson uh what was the little boy from The Simpson you know saying I'm retail Bart? media. Bart? No, the uh um the other guy. No. Mil, not Millhouse, the 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 one whose father's the police chief. He's always like oh. yeah. Ra- Ralph.
7: Ralph, Ralph. is that his name? He's
2: like yeah, Ralph, Ralph Wiggins. Wiggins, right? Yeah. It's like I'm I'm retail media.
7: I found a similar CTV performance. Right, everyone's like we can do a CTV performance, but then when you look at it, it's not actual performance. Like word we all know you know it's like it's close it's geared toward there but it's really not that and i feel like people are calling retail media things that are under a very wide umbrella and are going to continue to make a business out of using those buzzwords to try to use service
2: how's this going to affect the ecosystem if everyone's retail media
7: get good data you know
4: well and also i think it gets back to our comparability challenge if everything is retail media you know, and you're and you're investing in it. You you know, Amy, Amy S needs to know comparability. She's representing IPG, and so you know, she's got to know I can compare X and Y.
7: Well, that's what we're doing is building a unit that's where I was just someone actually building a unified backend. I handle Johnson and Johnson non-pharma, it's so not on all the like 150 SKUs. But like building a comprehensive retail media backend is very difficult. Even if you're leaving out Amazon, it's not going to give you the feed to allow you to do that. But comparing all of these, we did a a, a RFI with 35 retail media networks, 500 questions, right? And then synthesized that data and figured out how can we compare this Apple to Apple? And the truth is, it's very far away from doing Very frankly, I mean, the IAB is doing hard work and God bless them for standardization. But, you know, all these folks are building like this retail media network outside of their core competencies. So like Marriott is so and, you know, CVS is a pharmacy. So they're hiring folks like us really quickly in-house to like metastasize this business with this data that they don't really have in line and they act like they do. So I think this is all very much in its infancy. It's really interesting to see all the buzzwords and all the attention towards it, but everybody's got to really be able to do what they say they're going to do and standardization. If you want to be able to do this in mass or, uh, or like the smaller retail media uh, networks getting together to sell their like inventory as a package to go try and compete with. Amazon and maybe Walmart. I mean, I, that's what I see is, is the future.
2: So uh, obviously, retail media is now making its moves in store. Are we? Uh, is this now a renaissance of in store of the shopping experience? I'm thinking of companies like what was it, Cooler Screens. I don't know. I, I know they're getting sued by Walgreens. I think, but you know, that was actually an innovative idea. Are we going to see more ideas like that.
4: One hundred percent. I mean, the in-store experience. Everyone loves to talk about e-commerce like it's the only way that people are, you know, consuming goods. But the majority of goods are still sold in-store. That that may change over time. But people like it's a social experience. They like to touch and feel the products. They like to, you know, it's a social experience going to the store with a friend or things like that. And I think the retail media helps bring it more to life, and it allows you to access the brands and the offers in a different way.
7: What I want to go ahead. Are they going to change the way that they're attributing in store? Right, fine. Loyalty card, not everyone has, them, so you lose how, x number of percentage. Are they going to start like doing what the folks in uh, government and politics do and put beacons in, like? Hitting so our there's phone some, store, like someone. Yeah, I mean,
0: there's some. I think some of the companies that are doing this are getting really creative, and oh. uh, one of the one of the ones who I'm a big fan of is Luma Project, where they've done a lot of really good digital displays, especially in the like alcohol beverage area. And what they can do is basically run studies and show brand lift and sales lift, uh, by basically saying, we're going to run these, these ads for this brand for this week and then show week over week, you know, that lift and then how that lift degrades over time. And so it it is a little more, you know, like you can look at loyalty card data, but you can also just say, Hey, same in store who is buying this craft beer. Is that going up after this, they're running this campaign. No, and I think yeah, that's a like great They've shown great results from that.
2: Studies show that in-store digital ads can increase brand awareness up to forty eight percent and sales lift up to thirty-three percent. You know, yeah, I, think, uh, I, mean, when
5: I was at the uh, Path to Purchase uh, conference uh in the fall in St. Louis and there's the uh, Path to Purchase has a breakout subgroup called Bocce, it's adult beverage. You know, um they're so challenged because they don't have access to their first party data, there's a lot of rules regulations, but one of the things we talked, they talked about was how important point of purchases and the amount of cardboard that never leaves the warehouse. And so they spend all this money creating all these things. And then sometimes the store manager doesn't do it right. So these digital opportunities in those stores where you can just activate without all of
0: that cost and waste should have a lot of appeal. I was in, I was in Portugal recently, went into a Continente, and it's actually surprising how digital, uh, their stores are there compared to here. Like the number of screens that were kind of the aisle markers have screens, the end caps have screens, the brand like provided end caps will have their own screens. Really? Uh, I think like we've, you know, in some ways we're kind of behind here where I don't I don't see that when I go into my local Kroger, uh, but you do see it in Europe. And so I think we're going to get it's going to get very digitized and I'm sure we'll have some people complain about that. But uh, <laughs> I think it's going
2: to be exciting. Are there any in-store um, strategies that you've seen that you think are really innovative and caught your eye?
7: I think, I think anything
2: with, with, go ahead.
7: I, was, I think
3: anything with mobile devices. So I mean I, you know, I think beacons or anything are great, but like you, you really have to think about the consumer experience and actually like decreasing barriers to them. And you know, I, I think anything with mobile device or anything in which the consumer doesn't have to do anything extraneous like audio or interactive screens, but I think Anything beyond that, I do worry, especially with like biometric data, deciding what your gender and race and age is based on that, even if it's like anonymized and everything. There's like tons of like privacy issues on that, especially who's owning that data and everything. But I think mobile devices is really great. I know that Tesco is testing um, this thing where if you uploaded your grocery list to it, they would give you ads as you went throughout the aisle and they would give you promotions and then you would be able to really have an interactive experience throughout the aisles. Uh, which I, I think it's great. Um, so I, I, it's an interesting, you know, we're right now, we just launched an in-store working group for retail media. Amy would love to have Kineso involved. Um, and, you know, what we're trying to do is just like, what is that consumer experience? Because again, we don't want to put a bunch of ads. And I also think when we think about in-store, we, we need to stop the narrative that relevant advertising is the value proposition. Cause that's, that's the laziest answer ever. Like, the value proposition for the consumers: is how can we solve their problem as soon as possible, as easy as possible, and not being, hey, we're going to show you relevant advertising. So that's kind of like where – and I think that's what Tesco did. Tesco solved the problem of like, I'm going to store. This is my grocery list. How can I get it as fast as possible, and how can I get deals around, you know, as I do?
5: I mean, you know, I, I, I've been really paying a lot of attention to um, Andrew Lipsman. You know, he recently left Business Insider. He's, a, he's really a, a – he's got – went off on his own with a paid newsletter he's a big proponent of like why aren't brands looking in stores even just for reach opportunities. And he showed a slide at a conference, you know, the Walmart has over 200 million individual shoppers a month. I mean, that's bigger than any of the, of the team. Anymore. Our audio network, Vibonomics, we have 170 million monthly uniques and you can activate them tomorrow just by you know, turning on you know the activation. So, um, so we're, we're spending a lot of time trying to talk about not just shopper marketing in the store, but it's also a great way to reach consumers when, The top rated show on ABC last season that wasn't an NFL game for the 18 to 49 demo was The Bachelorette, and the rating was compared to Friends, which was 14 back in the 90s. Moving on. As as the new mass
4: media, Brian? No, I was just going to say retail media as the new mass medium. (laughs) It's
5: there.
2: I know. Your points
4: well made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and they just happen to be
5: where the products are bought.
2: Not a bad place to run. So... We've all had our crystal ball moments. We're going to move on to the more personal questions. Tell us about your worst prediction in the tech world that age like milk and not wine.
4: Well, I think, I, well, it came true eventually, but in 2012 or 2013, I, I said Netflix would be a great vehicle for ads. I was about eight years too early or nine <laughs> years too early. And so I was working with a big studio client. I was like, they would be amazing at, at providing ads in a, beautiful, a great environment way too early.
2: But do we know if that's
4: actually true? I mean, are they a great environment?
2: Uh, we know they're going to be doing it, but is Netflix, uh, we know they're going to be successful.
4: Well, I don't think we know. I, I mean, I, I would wager that they will be successful and I would wager they'll probably be more innovative uh, and, and do it in a, in a thoughtful way versus cramming, you know, 20 ads into a one hour type of program, sure. but but that remains to be seen at scale.
3: Anyone else? In fact, we would have native product placement like dynamically inserted by 2024. We, we don't, we're still a long ways away, but it, and it kind of like, I think Netflix does a really good job at product placement, ads, shows, like right. Frankie and George, Frank and George, the whole episode was about how to buy an Apple computer. And it was insane. It was just product placement. So, I mean, I think that when you think about the consumer experience and advertising, like, and I thought it was going to happen sooner, I don't know what ever happened, is like, can you integrate the products into the show in a very native experience? And then me as the advertiser, can just programmatically bid for that specific unit in the show to my audience. And then you don't break the narrative of the show. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was going to happen this year. It didn't. So, we'll yeah, see I think
2: Curve happens. is trying I mean, to do it next,
0: next year.
2: Right? I mean, I, I <laughs> spoke with Gary Mittman at Curve. They're trying to do they have the AI system where they do the the placements inside it that are dynamically created. But I don't know if anyone else is. I don't know how successful it is. Email inboxes are the modern-day junk drawers. How many unread emails are you hoarding? Oh,
1: my gosh. That <laughs> made my stomach hurt. I'm less than 100 at all times.
2: Keep it clean. Is it more or less than your sock collection? Good question. Someone had 100 socks. That's a lot of socks.
1: That's a lot of socks.
2: What, what are the, do you play guitar, Amy? I have to ask. You have all these I great play, guitars behind you.
1: Yeah, I play a little bit. Are they guitar- bass? I can't see. Oh, there's, an, a guitar. there's a variety. I, I play a little bit, but my, uh, my husband and son are avid guitarists. Uh, I grew up playing piano, so they just look nice in the background.
2: If you can magically unsend one email or message from the past... What would it be? And who was the unlucky recipient? Was it the reply all when I
5: complained about a certain person that was just on the conference call? i sure we've all <laughs> We're <talking> about, but
4: <laughs> I feel like everyone else
2: does. It's an inside joke. It's
4: a behavior. It's just a behavior. I think we've behavior. all been there. Like, yeah, yeah. We've
2: all done reply all. It's <laughs> like delete, delete, delete. I was hacked. Like, uh, they, say, they say you never meet your heroes, but when we do it anyways, share a story when you met someone you idolize and it went embarrassingly sideways in the industry.
5: Um, I have a, I have a story. I, I tell it a fair amount, but I don't think you, you guys have heard it. So when I was at the Wall Street Journal, we had the All Things D conference that Carol Swisher and Walt Mossberg did. Uh, it was the one where Steve Jobs and Bill Gates were on stage together. It was the first time in 20 years. But there was an afternoon interview with Steve Jobs and Walt Mossberg. And I was so frustrated as a digital seller. Apple never advertised digitally, really. And they, everyone told me it's Steve. Steve likes... TV billboards and back covers of magazines. So I got first in line to ask the question, and uh, and I it's, it's my turn. I'm in front of these, these two big screens, and uh, I said, "You haven't talked about Apple's advertising. You've done, you know, 1984, Think Different, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I want to talk, Steve, about your media mix because you don't advertise online really, and you're missing an opportunity to advertise. 95 percent of your ads will go to Windows users, and you can talk about how great Mac is. And maybe if you switch media mix, you can increase your five percent market share." He replies. We are advertising online, but I guess you haven't seen it because we're not advertising on porn sites. He said that. <laughs> One of a kind. I, One of a kind. I, I'm on these, I tried to do a follow-up, and they went to the microphone. I just kind of walked back to my seat. Good story. But, I, but happy ending. No joke. Six. Week, I don't know if any of you remember. Six months later, they were doing whole-page takeovers that the whole industry was talking about. And Steve picked the sites, and he picked mine. So... That was. Full.
0: I take full credit. I was going to say, minutes minutes. the story of where things didn't go well. This sounds like <laughs> it went amazing. It went well.
5: It, went, it didn't go well personally <laughs> in front of 400 of the most important people in media and
2: technology. Let's, let's, let's get our crystal balls out. What do you see for the industry in the next decade? Are we talking about flying cars, robot assistants? Are you still trying to fix the printer yourself?
4: I was just
7: trying to fix my printer earlier
4: today. I think a 10-year crystal ball is pretty pretty darn tough, but, but it's a lot of the blocking and tackling hopefully gets better. Uh, and and makes these things happen with a little less friction. Anyone else?
3: I'm
1: interested to see how much AI continues to be a buzzword versus just becomes part of what we do every day, not just in media, but in our lives. So I think that'll be really interesting to see how that continues to evolve.
2: And last, i like to ask everybody before we go, if you could send yourself a text message back in time when you started in the industry, what would you tell yourself? And would you listen to yourself? Let's start with Jed. Oh, boy. Um, and everyone I mean, says stock buy stock.
4: Yeah, yeah, I totally. Besides I say, buy, buy stock, yeah, yeah, buy more Microsoft. Are you kidding? It's like always Microsoft too. It's always yeah, yeah. Microsoft. or Google. Own, I, I owned it for like ten years, and it was like dead money. And I luckily I didn't sell it, and I was like, okay, um <laughs> I, I would just tell myself to be more patient. You know, roll with the punches, because most of these things are are very difficult to predict. Talking heads notwithstanding. Would you
2: listen to yourself? I would
0: try to, James. Yeah, I think I would. Uh... I would tell myself to take, I mean, I I took the risk of starting that company. I think I'd tell myself to take even larger risks and that, you know, failure is not a big deal. And so to take an even larger risk, um, I probably would not listen to myself since I don't usually listen to other people. And studies show that you think of your past and future self as like a different
2: person. So I would
0: probably not listen.
2: Do you think that people starting in business, they don't realize that failure is an option? I
0: think we've we I think it's one of the things that Silicon Valley does really well is like destigmatizing failure. But I think in, in in most of the rest of our culture, like we uh we like failure is like a big bad thing that you don't want your, you know, your family to to hear that you failed, as opposed to just realizing that if you're playing uh you know, if you're playing sports, you're gonna lose, you know, fifty percent of the time. Uh, and that that's just a big part of it. And I think if we adopted that same mentality in business, like we'd take a lot more risks and like build a lot cooler, bigger stuff as opposed to lots of like derivative half steps. Brian, I think
5: one of the things I remind, like I, I got I on digital pretty early. I was working at AdAge and I raised my hand to work on the new project, which was the website. I was just a sales rep then. And, you know, I'm so glad I did. I know so many friends that stayed in print too long and whatever, but um, as we've grown with this, the the part, the relationships and the friendships that we have you know, all of us who've been CROs and stuff, we all grew up together. I've known Peter Naylor forever and, you know, Matt Wastelhoff, all this. You know, we all were, and it's like, you don't see that in other businesses. And I wish I yeah, knew. I was thinking about then. the other day. I
2: know, I, like, I, besides this call, but almost every call I've had, there's somebody I've known for at least two decades. Yeah. And, you know, this um, one's yeah. Amy, I mean, but Amy S, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I think that's something really unique in the industry is that I really feel like I've grown up with a lot of these people. You know, yeah, so I think I, mean, I grew up on, I, I don't know she, some of them, did, but yeah.
5: Yeah. Um early on just I I mean I very much recognize an hour and a half for a couple of years, but realize how lucky we are and with all the challenges, just it's still fun. You know, you can still make it fun and just uh, remind yourself of that.
7: Amy I would just remind myself to stay the course and I would remind myself, don't worry, later on there's gonna be girls in this. You know, it was really yes. hard at the beginning and there was very few women and you know i like every time i go to a show or i'm on a call and there's all these women it just makes me so happy and (laughs) because it was really hard being the only you know and young person yeah we're all doing this a long time ago oh
2: yeah that when we started you were like one of the few people in the industry especially part of the industry we were in it was very male dominated and more than a little bit sexist at the time
7: yeah i mean it was like yeah Sure. I mean, you
2: couldn't go. You would go to a convention, and like they'd have. What was it? Was was it Shoe Money came out with the two dancers at one time on stage, and
7: a lot, of things, yeah. there a lot of things going on. But you know, also to not like let it get to you. You know what I mean? Like you know, it's okay. And later on, you'll still be represented, and you know, not to like let it let it get to you. Which I was lucky, and I just didn't. I just decided like that is not going to be one of my issues. You know what I mean? It is what it is. So let's move on. Show sure, I me. Mean,
6: I piggyback on what James said around sort of taking taking risks earlier, and specifically leaving leaving big tech earlier. Like I was at Google for a, a long time, and and a lot of the, frankly, in our industry, a lot of the interesting stuff is happening in
1: in independent
6: tech. I still I still believe that. Like it it may be harder. But like the dynamic folks trying to solve interesting problems through partnerships and, and through customer acquisition and sales and stuff. It's all happening like in, in independent tech outside of the the big tech companies. And so for anyone, like working at a big tech tech company is great. Don't like, A, don't believe they're going to just, you're going to be a lifer because that doesn't exist anymore. Like they do layoffs too, it turns out. So like you got to you got to you got to diversify, you got to be smart, you got to get out of the big tech companies and figure out what's happening in the rest of the world because they're also it's more dynamic out there than being in a big tech company.
7: Tech company is what I'd say.
1: I think early in my career I wish that I had asked more questions, spent more time learning um, and been more vocal with my opinions and also be willing to say no to something that Just didn't feel right, whether it was you know the position I was in, or the company I was at, or the work that I was working on, or the direction I thought a project could go in. I think you know it takes time to like gain that confidence and perspective, and be able to like really stand up easily and say, you know, this is what I think I want to do next, and what I think we need to do next. And uh, so I would have I would have encouraged myself to work on that earlier.
3: And last but not least, Jeff Bustos. I mean, all these are awesome answers. I would I would also I mean echo Amy said. I think just ask questions and. Seek mentorship. Like I think that there's so many people just willing to have a conversation with you if you just like ask for help. Which is kind of like when you, when you first start off, you don't think you can talk to someone. Obviously, be mindful my, my people's time, but you can talk to a lot of people, gain a lot of insights from different POVs. Um, and I, I, you know, I think that uh, diversity is also hugely important. Amy would love to have you on stage. On connected Commerce. Sixty percent of our speakers were women. Forty percent were racially diverse. It was the most diverse event in all of advertising or ad tech, that was
2: not a diverse event. So- It was great, I
1: was there, really enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. I try to
2: bring this up that diversity is not a woke conspiracy. That in marketing, we need diversity, not just because we're reaching diverse audiences, but we need yeah. different people. And I think that's always something I always try to point out. What questions should people be asking? What type of question? I mean- that You should have asked, then. Let's go with that. I mean, I think, how can we solve a problem? I think sometimes in advertising,
3: kind of to what I mentioned before, we're so focused on how can we sell a product. And the question should really be how can we solve a problem for the and that should be where we should start advertising and not how can I sell this product. Because then you kind of just don't really do what you're supposed to do as advertisers.
7: It's interesting because in the old it was the opposite, right? I feel like, you know? And like it's interesting to hear you say that. Like getting away from, from that. I, which you're right. You're right. That's an interesting take.
0: And that's all folks. Please consider sponsoring Adotat to keep independent and really witty tech journalism alive. We can't run this on good feelings and rainbows.